6, and if you're visiting with us tonight, by the way, is there anyone else that made it in here tonight that might need uh, the headsets for Spanish translation? Anybody else? Do we have everybody? Anybody else need the translation? I uh, know Nazarel's going to try to keep up with me tonight, and uh, you pray for her. <laughs> we'll uh, do the best we can to help her out. I didn't help her that much this morning, but if you're joining tonight anybody didn't get a copy of the notes anybody need a copy of the notes did they get it all, all right? miss mickey miss mickey needs a copy there you go all right thank you brother gus and uh, so we're looking forward to our study tonight if you have your bible and of course uh, there's much on this uh, study guide route 66 just so that those of you that are visiting with us there are 66 books in the bible and so what we did last year uh, instead of starting in Genesis, we actually started in the New Testament, and we covered all the books in the New Testament, beginning in Matthew, all the way to the book of Revelation. This year, we uh, jumped over into the Old Testament. We started in the book of Genesis, and uh, if you notice here, all the books on the shelf, this is the Old Testament books of the Bible. How many Old Testament books are there? All right, 39. And so... What you see there is, again, God gives his word to us, and there's many ways that, that the Bible tells us in the New Testament to rightly divide the word. So it's important that when we study the word of God, I hope that you've been a Christian long enough to understand there's many ways you can approach the Bible. For instance, if you're familiar with the word chronological, means what? In date order, right? Time order. So if, you know, it took me a while, and again, if, you, if this is you and you haven't figured this out yet, don't feel bad. It took me a while to, to realize that I thought, like any other book, you read from Genesis to Revelation, it reads in time order. The books that we have, the way they're put together in what's called the canon of scriptures, the books are not necessarily in chronological order, all right? And what they have done is they've grouped them together. Now look at the books there on the shelf, and you can kind of see this is one way to look at it. We looked at the first five books of the Old Testament, the ones in orange there. Those are the books of history, the, the, excuse me, the books of the law. Those are the books that God used Moses. That's oftentimes referred to as the Pentateuch five. And so we, we looked at those five books. Then we went into that section of the blue books that are right there on that top shelf. That's the section that we just finished, I think, week before last, and we finished with the book of Esther. Those books are the historical section of the Bible. So when you study those, you find all the history of what happened to the, to the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, all that they went through, including the captivity. Now, tonight, we start that purple section, or whatever you want to call that, light purple, lilac, whatever it is. Pastor's kind of colorblind sometimes, but those five books there are what are known as the poetical section of the Bible. So notice the poetical books. Now, I'm going to give you just a brief, go, go back, go back, stay with me, there you go. I'm going to give you a brief just overview of the poetical books. That's not the intent tonight, but I, I want to make sure as we begin a new section. Now, go to that next one, Brother Tyler, and I appreciate Tyler trying to help me out here tonight. Notice that these are the categories, and you see here, you see the one of the law, the books there, then the ones I mentioned, the history, and right there in the middle, you have, there, there you go, great job. So notice these are the five books that we're going to look at, beginning with Job tonight, 
and then go over to your right a little bit. There, there you go. And notice these are the books of the prophets. Now, if you remember, there were times when Jesus was referring to the Old Testament and he called it the law and the prophets. Okay, now there was also the way that the Jews put the Bible together, the divisions of the Jewish Bible. You have the law and the prophets. And, and so, again, understand that this is the way that the canon is put together as we view it today. And, again, it's all the Word of God. But the prophets, notice, has the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And so as you look at that, uh, you see, of course, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. And the reason that they call them major and minor doesn't mean that one, some of those are more important than the others. It was the size of the letter or the size of the book or really the size of the prophet that God gave to the prophet to proclaim and to be recorded. So we'll get to those, but since it was there, I thought I'd give you that little bit. That was extra. You don't have to pay anything for that, all right? Now, go back uh, to the next slide here, Brother Tyler. Where are we at? Uh, there you go. All right. So notice here, as we look at this little section here called the Poetical Books, the subject of the Poetical Books, this isn't the book of Job yet, Notice the poetical books deal with the experiences of God's people in Old Testament times as God sought to reveal himself to and through his people. So this has always been God's way. God, God's not playing hide and go seek. God wants to be known. God wants to be found. And so in these poetical books, it's yet another way outside of of the history books of the Old Testament that God uses yet another, I love the Bible, there's so many different things, uh, prose and poetry and so on, and this is a wonderful section dealing with the experiences of God's people, how God wanted to reveal himself. Notice a couple verses here you have in your outline there, Job chapter 42, look at these verses. The Bible says, I have heard thee, uh, heard of the, heard, uh, I have heard of thee, by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself, Job says, and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So again, how many times we think about it in our own lives where we may hear about God, but then we actually see, in other words, God is revealing himself to us. Now one way God has revealed himself to us is through his word. Aren't you glad for the Bible tonight? I mean, listen, this is God's love letter to us. And if you want to know more about God, get into the Bible and you'll learn more about God. It's so very important. Job says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth. Listen, when I, when I read the Bible, I see the Lord as I read the word of God. And I hope you do too. Notice another one, Psalm 11, verse 4 and 5. The Lord is in his holy tabernacle. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. So here we see that there are going to be times, we preached about that this morning, how there's going to be times in our lives where, look, God is not uh, tempting us or testing us or allowing us to go through things to hurt us or to harm us, God is trying to bring us closer to himself. And the Bible says that the Lord, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men, the Lord trieth the righteous. 
And look, think about what God did with Abraham. Remember how God told Abraham, I want you to take your son, you know, the one you prayed for so long, the son of promise. I want you to take him and I want you to go up that mountain. And when you get up there, I want you to sacrifice your son. What was God doing? God was trying him. God was tempting him. By the way, Abraham passed that test. And you know, Jesus said to his disciples that their faith was small at times. What does God want to do? He wants to increase our faith. One way God will increase our faith is when he tries us that we will have faith in him. Keep our eyes upon him. And I love the poetical books. Now look at the purpose of the poetical books is to reveal to us the experiences of Christ. You say this Old Testament, we will see that even tonight, the experiences of our Lord and also notice our experiences in and through him. So one of the things about being a Christian is we can see how he did what he did in his life, how, how he handled situations, and then he is our great example that we can follow his example. And so notice Genesis through Esther. This is the first book of the Old Testament all the way through the last book that we just covered. Those books of the Bible contain many spiritual truths, but those books, as I mentioned earlier, are historical in nature. The five poetical books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, are more religious in character. In other words, when you look at these, it says they are of great importance to us for the special instructions that they convey. There are special instructions aside from the historical part of the Old Testament of our Bible. Now look at each one of them. Let me show you the importance of each of these. Here you go. This is just a brief synopsis. We're going to look at one of the five tonight. The book of Job is doctrinal. That means that it's dealing with truth. It's dealing with uh, the, the truth about God, the truth about man. And it's important for us, we see that as we read and study the book of Job. Notice the second poetical book, the book of Psalms. And again, this is, was the, the Hebrew songbook. And notice this book is devotional and it is prophetical. That means that as you read that, you study those Psalms, that att great attention is given to God. Great reverence is given to God. Listen, there have been many times in my life where I've gone through a season and the book of Psalms has helped me through that time. Very devotional section, and I love this. There is much prophecy that is referred to in the book of Psalms. Notice the third book, the book of Proverbs. This book is a tremendous book. It is very practical, and as you study the book of Proverbs, you can make application to your life. In other words, this will help you to uh, know how to live the Christian life. It gives you very practical counsel uh, from the writer of the book of Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes, this is one of my favorites. This book here is a book that is penitential. Now, the word there, penitence, uh, to repent, it's a contrition of heart. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of repentance. It's a book of pain. It's a book of sorrow. It's a book of grief. Many times you read over and over again, vanity of vanities, saith the, the, the preacher, and how that everything that he had in life, and I hope you've discovered now that, that there is godliness and contentment is great gain in the Lord. And don't set your eyes on things on this earth. Set your eyes upon things above, all right? And don't get fixated in material things because, listen, those things one day will be gone. 
And I love the book of Ecclesiastes, tremendous book that goes right to the heart and helps us. And then the last one, the book that is known as Song of Solomon is a book that is experiential, meaning that it is one that is based on experience. It's one that is based on observation. And as you read that book, here's how you learn. You learn through reflection. Uh, you start to reflect about what he is saying. Now, that book is a little harder to, to grab a hold of, to understand. We'll get to that book, and we'll cover it one of these Sunday nights. Now, as we get into the book of Job, I want you to see the, the, the title of the book, of course, is the book of suffering and patience. Now, again, think about your life tonight. Uh, all of us go through times where we may suffer, of course, the Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution could be in many different forms. I really don't believe that America has yet, it may come a day, we'll see persecution like uh, various parts of the world have seen uh, for their religious beliefs, for their convictions. But notice that we see in this book Job's suffering and we also see this testing of his life which brings about patience and my my daughter, I've been talking to her, and her and Andrew are getting settled in up in Georgia, and she said, Dad, I think that the military is trying to teach me patience. I said, I think God is trying to teach you through the military patience. And so, listen, that is a lesson that I know her father and many of us need to learn, <clears throat> but look at this, many times it's patience through suffering. And we'll see that as we make our study tonight or as you study more in the book of Job. Now, the name Job means hated. Think about that. Or persecuted. That's what his name means. And because, now listen to this. A lot of times people want to approach this book and they want to talk about the book of Job. And here's why. Job makes no mention in the book about the law, uh, talking about the first five books, it, or, or any of the old patriarchs. He never mentions them. He never mentions the tabernacle. And because of Job's great age, which was very common, people were living much longer back then, they believed that, that Job lived long before Abraham's day. Many believe that this book is the most ancient writing in the Bible. Now, there are some things that, again, I can't go to seed on. Uh, and again, I, I'm not going to differ over uh, something with you about it, but Many do believe, I hold that to be true, that this is probably one of the most ancient writings in the Bible. Now, some would ask as they read the book of Job, because there are a lot of people that act like the, book, the Bible is just a book of fiction, that, that some people that are in it were not real people. So when you come to the book of Job, people might ask this question, was Job a real person? And it's, a, it's a fair question. Now, I think that the best thing to do is, what does the Bible say about Job? Does the Bible say anything about Job, that he was a real person? And we find that answer from the Word of God through the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, if you don't have this reference, write it down. Ezekiel 14, verse 14 and 20, they say almost the exact same thing. Here's what they say. Through these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. So we find here that Ezekiel the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, mentions three men in the Bible, Noah, Daniel, and Job. 
Now, if that's not enough through the prophet Ezekiel, when you go to the New Testament, here's what you find is that if you ever doubted Job's existence, you also have to doubt the existence of Noah and Daniel, both of whom were, de- were described as real people by Jesus. And so Jesus himself made reference to these individuals. So again, you find that the Word of God answers the question, Job was a real person, and we need to understand that as we study it. And listen, many times names were significant, and his name meant hated or persecuted, all right? Now, notice the contents of the book. The book derives its name from the person whose history it records. It contains an account of the devotion, the riches, the afflictions, and the restoration of this extraordinary character who lived not in Oz. (laughs) He lived in Uz, okay, or Uz, uh, some people pronounce it. But he lived in uh, this, this part of what is the Arabian Desert. And so we find here, as a matter of fact, I think I have a map. There it is right there. And again, this is another one of those many people cannot pinpoint, but from some of what is described in the Word of God, many believe that this was the area that you find where uh, Uz was, where Job lived. Now again, that, that may be a little bit off. If it's a couple miles or something, then it may be. But you can see, again, the Middle East there. And, of course, the the Mediterranean Sea above it there. So this is where he lived, just trying to give you an idea. Now, the emphasis as you study the book of Job is mainly on Job's trials and his sufferings, which goes right back to the title of of this book, is all that he went through, the trials and suffering of his life. Now, the book may be considered a couple different ways. And, again, I think some of this may be the way people approach it. There could be more than three ways. But these are some of the ones that I have found as I've looked at it. The first one is it can be described as a description of the life of Job in which an account is given of his prosperity. That's how the book begins. Then his afflictions. Then the visit by his friends. You see this really in kind of chronological order. The discussions that he has between himself and his friends. And then his restoration to a greater affluence than before. So to me, that is probably a very logical one. It's a description of everything that happens. That's one way you can overview or look at the book of Job. Notice the second one would be a dialogue. In other words, this would be in different parts, different speaking parts, various speakers introducing themselves. Notice some of the the main speakers here. It begins with this conversation between God and Satan. And of course, Job is there. Then you see Job's servants, a part of it, Job's wife. Remember what Job's wife said? She was such a blessing. Why don't you just curse God and die? Every, every man needs a wife like that. And so uh, we find here Job's friends come on the scene. We have Eliphaz, Bil- Bildad, and Zophar. And, and we see all of these individuals that were a part of the speaking here in Elihu. It's a dialogue. Now, again, that's another proper way to look at it is all of these people having all this dialogue and conversations between themselves throughout the 42 chapters. Notice the third way is a dispute. And again, I I believe the description is good. I believe a dialogue is good. And notice some would look at it as a dispute in which his friends were opponents. And as they they opposed, notice what he does. He responds. We kind of see that going back and forth as you're reading through the book. And then Elihu is uh, the one that moderates this kind of dispute between them. God is the one that officiates over this entire process, and God is the one settling 
and God is the one that determines the point in question. And of course, we know God is sovereign over all things. So there's, there's a couple different ways. And again, I believe you could probably come up with one of your own different ways that we can look at this. And sometimes it's, it's how you approach it. Uh, one naturally starts right at the beginning. Many of those work through the book. And now notice on the next page of your notes, the desperate struggle between Job and his adversary is allowed to take place in the open. And I, I think this is good for us to see. It, it, it's allowed to take place in the open so that we might learn the secret of resistance. Now, it, let me just stop here and say, do you remember the scene in the New Testament when the devil, uh, Satan came and he le- the, Jesus was led of the spirit into the wilderness? Remember that? And you remember how he was tempted how many times? Three times. And what did Jesus do every time he was tempted? He quoted scripture. You know, in other words, if I could use the words, get thee behind me, Satan, is really what he was saying each and every time. And the Bible says at the end of that, because Jesus resisted the devil, the devil fled, the devil left him. You know what happens is, oftentimes, we not only entertain the devil, we throw a party and invite the devil, all right? So what we need to understand from the book of Job is God allows us to see this unfold in the open so that you and I can watch and see that God wants us to resist sin as well. The Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. So this is a wonderful thing for us. I don't know about you, it helps me every time I read this book to learn the secret of resistance. I need to be reminded that God does not want me to live in sin. We talked about this morning that we should be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. So, you know, the flesh is weak. Now, notice Satan, what is he doing in the book? Satan was doing his best, by the way, he's a master at this, to crush and overthrow and bring Job low. That's what the devil wants to do to you tonight. He wants to do that to you this week. The devil would love to sidetrack you, that you would never come to the house of God again, that you wouldn't live the Christian life, that you would be a poor testimony for the Lord. The devil loves to crush people, Christians, and bring them low. Now notice, here's what he's doing. Get this. The devil sought to set God and Job at variance. In other words, he wanted them to be going at it, to be in disagreement with one another. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Notice the verse here, Job 1.11. Here's what Satan said. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, can I just say this? The devil is a liar. He's the father of it. You know, he lied in the garden. And many times we believe the lies of the devil. And so, what? Jo- listen, what, what Satan was trying to do was he was trying to pin. Your kids ever do that to you, parents? They try to pin one of you against, you against your, your spouse? You know, children are little devils, aren't they? They, they? they do their best to try to get mom and dad at variance, all right? And that's what Satan was trying to do, too. He said, well, listen, all those little devils can come to the altar tonight, okay? Now, notice Job was a very wealthy man. We see this early on. We have no idea, but many believe he was one of the wealthiest men alive at that time. Uh, again, I have no, no value, but notice that as a wealthy man, notice here, riches are not everything that a man needs if he is to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. I hope that you understand 
that, listen, our strength is not in what we have because what we have could be tomorrow. What we need is what Job needed, and that is we need the Lord. Job needed the Lord in his life. James said it this way, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Notice, resist the devil, and he will. Let's say it together. He will flee, right? That's what the Bible says. That's the promise of God. And so I, I love how this book gets underway. And again, it's, it's a tremendous study. Now, next section here, Job's adversary. Again, just understanding this, Job's adversary was a person. Can I tell you tonight, the devil is alive and well. The devil doesn't take a vacation. Notice that this was not some influence. And I want you to see from chapter 16 in the book of Job, and you can go there on your own. But I want to give you some ways that the enemy works. Notice seven ways. Just from one chapter, all right? Notice the first way is he separates from the best company. If you go to chapter 16, verse 7, that's what God tried to do, uh, the, Satan tried to do. He tried to separate Job from good company, the best company. That's what the devil would love to do with you and I, is separate us from Christian friends, get us around the wrong people. Evil communications corrupt good manners, the Bible says. So the devil tries to separate us. Notice another thing that he does is in verse number 8, he disfigures the face. Have you ever seen someone that lived a sinful life and what the effects that sin has on them? I mean, you look at their life and you're like, if you take a guess, whatever age you say, it's probably 10 or more years off because of the effects of sin. You see, the devil loves to disfigure the face. Notice in verse 8 again, what does he do? He brings leanness into the life. And then in verse number 9, he takes advantage of the helpless. Notice the word helpless. Listen, we ought to help the helpless. The devil takes advantage of the helpless. Number 5, in verse number 12, he breaks asunder and shakes to pieces. You say, Pastor, where are you getting those words? Right there in the Bible. That's what the devil loves to do. He just loves to shake us up and, and, and to, to break asunder. You know what that, that word there is? The, the Bible says it this way, what God has joined together, let not man put us asunder, to divide. So again, what does he do? He, he breaks us. He tries to divide us. He tries to shake us to pieces. Verse 13, notice this. He does what he does, not by himself. He has many helpers. You know, the, listen, there are a lot of, there are a lot of demons. You know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. The devil has a lot of cohorts. And so understand that he is very powerful. Notice number seven. What does he do in verse 14? He uses powerful tactics. And so the devil is, listen, he is ready to go to battle. Uh, the Bible talks about the wiles of the devil. And can I just say tonight, you and I are no match for the devil. You cannot defeat the devil in and of yourself. That's why we need the Lord. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So notice the next statement here. Why had, why had Job suffered so? Uh, we said this morning, some of the trials come, the questions come, but the God, God actually gives the correct answer here. In, in an unusual way, because he asked Job a number of questions 
about the natural world. And see, again, that's a lot of times we have our, our eyes fixated on something. And so God, he asked Job some questions here. When he asked these questions about the natural world, he revealed in these questions man's lack of knowledge. And notice also, Job then soon comes to understand less about man than he thought. You know, it's kind of like uh, when, when, when teenagers get to high school or college. I used to remember at the college, all the freshmen would come and you couldn't teach them a thing because they knew everything. And, and then they became a sophomore and, and they realized they didn't know as much as they thought. By the time they became a junior, they, they knew even less. By the time they were ready to graduate, they're like, I need to start all over again because I don't know anything. And, that, and Job here thought he had it all figured out like many of us in life. But Job understands less and less about man more than he thought. And when he sees, and this is what God allowed him to see, and he's done this even in my life, he sees his littleness and he sees God's greatness. And he was brought to see himself and to know himself as God sees him, as God knows him. That's why this whole year, that's what we're trying to do is magnify the Lord. The truth is, God should be magnified in our lives every day. But here's what happens is we take God off the throne of our life, we allow ourselves to be on it, and instead of God being God, God's like this. He's over in a corner on a shelf. Whenever we need him, we access him. But see, God allows Job, and listen, if he hasn't done it in your life yet, he will. He'll show you how little insignificant you are. I remember years ago, we got to go to the, um, and not, not the ark, what's the other one that they have, the creation museum and how many of you've been there creation museum no not many of you and uh, anybody been to the ark yet and just a few people listen you if you ever in in the midwest go by and see and i i'll tell you what they're they're fairly accurate representation it's 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 it is mind-boggling and it will it will just get to your heart when you see some of the stuff there but one of the things I remember doing, when I was a kid, we used to have one of these in town where I grew up. We had a planetarium. And the one we had was was good. I thought it was good back then. But boy, when we went to this one, we went in, we sat down. And uh, they have spent, I don't know how much money to research this whole thing. But you sit down in this chair. And here's what they do is they start out with Earth. And you're watching this whole thing unfold. And uh, this thing just continues to pull back and to pull back and to pull back and to pull back until you could see the galaxies, the many, many, many galaxies. And in the end, here's what I walked out of there thinking, we are not even a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck. And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the planet Earth. That's how big God is. And listen, you and I need to understand, we have a big God. And he is in control of everything, and we see this in the book of Job. I love it. Notice upon Job's repentance, and he eventually got there. Uh, you see at the end of the book, God gave Job twice as much as he ever had before. Isn't God good? Now, did Job deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. But that's the grace of God. Now, you have on the back page there, I think, the chart. We'll look at this real quick, but I want you to see this. Tyler's going to help me out here. And so notice here uh, across the bottom, you see Job's tested in the beginning, the challenge of Satan, Job's despair, of course, the complaint that was there. And then you see Job starting to receive, whether he wanted it or not, some of the counsel that comes his way. And, and of course, uh, many people, when things happen, you know, 
Uh, do, do you remember that the uh, story in the Bible about the, the, the son that was, uh, what was it, he was born blind, I think, and they said that, that the reason he was born blind was because his parents had sinned, right? Do you remember that? And uh, boy, people love to stand in judgment. Everybody wants to be the Holy Spirit. And, and so here's his friends, and uh, of course, they're, they're trying to help him. And so you see much of that. Notice that's a big section there. Now notice as you go beyond those three cycles and then the speeches of Elihu, notice over on the right here, Tyler, you have to go a little further there. You have, of course, Job then is approved. And of course, the only approval comes from God. And then you hear the voice of God at the end of the book. So I love the emphasis here, how there was a conflict. And then you see the debate that took place, the, the repentance of Job. There was the dilemma of Job. Then the debate that took place, Job was delivered. You can view it this way. You see a great man at the beginning of the book. You, there's a great examination. None of this is in your notes, so quit looking for it. And a great discussion and a great revelation. It's a wonderful view of the book of Job, and I hope that you take some time and say, Pastor, where are you getting all this from? From studying the book of Job. All right, so it's in there. Just spend some time going through it for yourself. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, do I have another after this one? Brother Tyler, do I have another chart? No? Okay, all right. Okay, so notice the character of the book of Job, all right? This is really, as you read it, it really is the way it's wrote. Remember, this is poetry, all right? So this is a poem. Now, again, we don't view it that way, but it shows the culture and the understanding of the patriarchal age, okay? So again, many times we don't see it that way, but the subject character of this is it shows the culture. Look, we need to understand, many times when it comes to the Bible, here's what we do, is we try to understand the Bible in American culture 2021. You cannot do that. You have to go back and understand a little bit about the culture of the time in which it was written. If this really is one of the most ancient books in the Bible, then you have to go way back. Now, sometimes we can only imagine, but it gives us understanding. Notice dealing with the patriarchal times that we see in the, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, the subject of the book of Job is, again, the trial of Job's patience and the ways of the Lord with his suffering children. Now, again, God doesn't do that to be mean to us. But we see here the ways of the Lord with his suffering children. Notice James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of who? Job. This is in the book of James, New Testament. We've heard of the patience of Job and have seen in the end, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. See, God was with this whole situation. He knew where Job was at. He knew what Job was going through. That ought to be a great comfort to you, that God knows where you are, and he knows what you're going through, and he will be with you just like he was with Job. And I, I, again, I find great comfort in this. Now, let me go through quickly uh, many purposes in this book, all right? We'll go through these. Notice number one. One of the purposes is to reveal that the righteous as well as the wicked suffer. I've given you the verses there, but the, here's what the Bible says. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because if I'm a Christian, I'm going to suffer. You ever seen an unsaved person suffer? I have. But listen, I'd much rather have the Lord as I go through those times than not have the Lord and go through those times without the Lord. 
All right, so that's a great purpose to reveal that all do suffer. Number two, it's, it, the purpose is to show that nothing just happens in the life of a believer. If God is, we just, we just spent a month on this. If God is sovereign, nothing just happens in the life of a believer. Remember, God has a purpose. Everything is Father filtered. Number three, the third purpose is to show that man's ways are not God's ways. What does Isaiah 55 say? His ways are higher than our ways. I think God knows better than we do, right? Last time I checked. All right, notice number four. Here it is, to reveal Job to himself. <laughs> say, really? Yes. Because many times people are not living in reality. They're not looking at it from a spiritual perspective. So God, again, wanted Job to see himself. Number five, to teach repentance. This is a great book. There's many, many books, many verses in the New Testament about repentance, getting right with God. Hey, listen, we're about ready to have a refresh meeting. Why are we having that? Because if there's something in our lives, if there's something between my soul and the Savior, I want to get that out of my life. Why? Because I want the blessings of God on my life. I want the power of God on my life. And so we find here God teaches repentance through the book of Job. Number six, to show that Satan attacks, his attacks come only as God permits. Now, I don't know if I need to repeat that, but you need to just let that settle in. The only reason that Satan does what he does is because God allows it. Now, again, God was there. God was in control. Remember what God, God told Satan? He says, you can do this and this, but you cannot take his life. And so, again, only as God permits. Number seven, another purpose to show uh, how to refute the slander of Satan. I think that's a pretty good one. About every week, uh, some Christians, one of our members will come to me and say, say something about their, their boss or somebody at work or this or that or some neighbor or whatever. Listen, you know what they are? They're just, they're just advocating for the devil. They're slandering you. We live in a world where people are not afraid to say whatever. Where's the Christian who will stand against the attacks of the wicked one? And so the book of Job helps us as the attacks come to refute the slander of Satan. And of course, the, I'll tell you this, there is no weapon like the Word of God. It's the sword that God has given to us. Know the Word of God, study God's Word. Number eight, the purpose to show that Satan is powerful, but God is all-powerful. <laughs> and again, God is all-powerful. Number nine, to show how tribulation works patience. That's right out of the Bible. Job was going through these trials, and guess what? It was teaching him patience. And some of us need that lesson. I know it's a hard one, especially for me. Number 10, to show that God alone can comfort and deliver us. No one else. You look at Job's life, no one else could bring comfort to him, only God. And what does the Bible say in the New Testament? He's the God of all what? Comfort. He's the one that comforts us in all of our trials. Number 11, to show that God's grace is sufficient in any circumstance. Remember we read the scripture this morning about Paul, how he had this thing and he asked the Lord to take it away, and what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient. All right? Number 12, here's another one, is to show that God can be praised in the midst of trials. Again, remember what Paul said? He says, look, I will therefore most glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So look, there's 12 wonderful reasons. What's the purpose of the book of Job? There's some wonderful ways to look at it. Now, simple outline, just divided a couple ways. 
you find that it begins with the charge of Satan there in chapters 1 and 2. Satan once again to set uh, God and Job at variance with each other. Then notice number 2 is, is a big section. It's from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 31. Huge section in the book of Job. And it's the controversy with his three friends. It goes through three cycles. And you can see it. If you've read before, you'll see how, again, it just goes through this. Chapter 4 to 14, 15 to 21, 22 to 31. All that controversy going on. Number three, then it turns to the contention of Elihu. And that's from chapter 32 to chapter 37. Now, it's wonderful that when you get to chapter 38, notice you see the climax by Jehovah God. And you see God weigh in on this. Of course, God was there all along, but he allows all of this to take place. And then number five, the confession of Job. Job gets right uh, with God. He sees himself for who he is. And then you have the conclusion, the last part of chapter 42. And so the book is, again, divided in a wonderful way. But that big section with all that controversy with his friends, the scope of the book, in other words, how long does this last? Now, some of them we've been able to pinpoint a little bit more. This particular book, because of the age of it, the period of time covered by the experience of Job is really uncertain. We have no idea how long these 42 chapters in our Bible lasted. The writer was probably Job. There's, there's a little bit of, of disagreement there. Again, there's nothing really to prove otherwise, but many believe that it was probably Job. And to whom was it written to? Uh, again, it was early on, but to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, of course, the formation, the patriarchal times. And we see when was it written? General agreement is that it was written probably between the 7th and 4th centuries B.C. Is, is about the time frame it was written. Where was it written from? It's likely that it took place sometime between the flood and the time of Moses is when many believe that that is uh, where it was written. It is probably written in Uz, which would have been, again, in the, the Arabian Desert, is where it would have been written from. The key chapter of the book of Job is chapter 38. Now, remember, that's where God's response comes in. So we notice here we see Job's consciousness there in chapter 38 of God. He finally understands who God is. Okay, The key verses, there's two that I've selected. I think these are pivotal verses, but notice chapter 23, verse number 10, Job says there, he knoweth the way that I take, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? As gold. And uh, of course, Ron Hamilton wrote a song about that many years ago, as he lost an eye to cancer, and uh, many, many Christians have been tried by God, but I love this, that if we just stay faithful, we shall come forth as gold. The other key verse is chapter 13, verse 15. And I love the spirit here, though he slay me. In other words, though I have to go through this, Job says, yet will I trust in him. And he says, and I will maintain mine own ways before him. That's what we need to do, folks. When things come our way, when God allows things to happen, just keep trusting the Lord. The key word is the word tried. It goes right back to our theme for it. The key phrase is blessed be the name of the Lord. It comes right from chapter 1 in verse 21, probably one of the more famous verses there, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and Job said, naked shall I return thither, the Lord gave, the Lord had taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> when I saw this verse again, it reminded me, I, I, this was a verse that came to my mind and heart 
many years ago when our first child was born and she had all the difficulties at her birth. And I remember all that <clears throat> we went through there and I was at the, at the other hospital uh, about two, little two and a half hours after she was born and the doctor came out of the, the thing with the scrubs on and had a clipboard with a piece of paper and he said, I need you to sign this. And I said, what is it? And he says, it's a consent form for us to do whatever is necessary when we go in there. And I remember signing that. I remember saying, Lord, you gave her to us. She's your gift to us. And God, if you choose to take her, she's yours. I remember saying that. I didn't say it out loud. And I was thinking, just like Job here said here, God is the one that gives. He's the giver of life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That needs to be our spirit and attitude. Notice a key thought here is testing Notice here how the death of self, that's the problem, is we, are, we just think too highly of ourselves. That's, what, that's been man's problem all along. Spiritual thought is let God have his way with us. Or somebody said years ago, let go and let God. Just let God have his way. And a couple quick things here will be done tonight. <clears throat> the uniqueness of the book, notice first of all here, we see Job is pictured as a type of Christ. Four ways, in his affliction and his suffering, in his patience under affliction and trials and his deliverance out of them. Notice also in his exaltation to a high place of happiness and prosperity, and then in his intercession for his friends. Hey, the same thing that happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can kind of see the progression there of the life of Christ. Job is a type. I didn't say he was Christ. He's a type of Christ. Notice another thing unique about the book is sometimes you read about, not only here in Job, but other places, about this matter of repenting in dust and ashes. What's this all about? Again, you have to understand, this expression displays humility. It talks about repentance and death to self. Oftentimes, one would put on sackcloth, and they would fall prostrate to the ground in the dust, and watch this, that as they lay there, they were covered with ashes. And the whole purpose behind this, it was symbolic. Notice that the sackcloth symboled death and dust and ashes symbolizes burial. Hey, it makes you think about what? The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So when you look at this, again, it is a, an expression, this repenting in uh, dust and ashes displays humility, all right? Now, this section here I just kind of threw in for fun. And we'll go through it. There's no blanks there, so you can just keep up with me. But, you know, it's amazing when you look. Here's what you find is the science of the Bible. There is a lot of this in the book of Job. I don't know if you're interested in this type of stuff, but I think it's amazing the number of accurate, listen, accurate scientific statements that Job made as well as the number of accurate scientific questions that he raised. Do you remember for years in the history of our nation and before our nation, they thought the earth was what? flat, you know, and then they finally realized that it's a sphere, right, that it's circular, and so in the book of Job, listen, this is just a sampling, there's more, but if nothing else, all of these things confirm the fact that although the Bible is not a scientific textbook, yet when it does make a scientific statement, listen, it is accurate, okay, so look at the first one here. In chapter 21, we see Job mentioned his bones are anointed with marrow. 
talks about the marrow in the bones. Number two, he talks about the height of the stars in chapter 22. In chapter 25, he mentions the moon, it shineth not. You know why the moon doesn't shine? Because it reflects. It does not shine. So when you study this out, you find it to be true. Chapter 26, he mentions the north over the empty place. In chapter 26, he also mentions the earth hanging in space. In chapter 26, again, in verse 8, he mentions rain and water in the clouds. In chapter 28, he mentions the vulture's eye. In chapter uh, 28, he mentions the weight for the winds. Interesting terminology there. Here's what it's in reference to. It's talking about pressure. It's talking about pounds of air is the weight for the winds. Notice number nine, he weigheth the waters by measure. That's talking about density. Uh, when, When you look at number 10, the spreading, balancing, and the numbering of the clouds. Number 11, he mentions the ocean's boundaries. There, that's, that's a reference to the gravitational pull of the moon on the ocean tides. And we see this even today. Number 12, he mentions the earth revolving around the sun. Uh, number 13, the springs in the ocean. He mentions the ocean depths, the way where light dwelleth. That, that reference there is talking about the speed of light. Kind of interesting there. And notice in number 16, the treasures of snow and hail, he mentions in chapter 38. In chapter 38, he mentions the sun and the wind. And as he mentions that, here's the reason he does. is because sun is a source of energy and a source of our wind's system. And we see this many times. Think about today, how many people are getting solar panels put on their houses? And we see the energy coming from the sun. He mentions in chapter 38, lightning, and then number 19, the ordinances of heaven. And when he mentions that in chapter 38, he's talking about the physical laws that control billions of stars or solar bodies. And so again, there's a lot of scientific things that are mentioned in the book of Job. And if you want to take that study that out, there's even more. I thought that to be very fascinating and unique about the book of Job. Notice a couple ways Christ is magnified in this first one. I'm just going to put it this way. He's our hedge. And I like this. Is this comes from chapter number one where, you know, the Bible talks about how that there was a hedge set up. And it says, hast thou not made a hedge, Satan said, about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. You know, sometimes that's the way I pray. God, build a hedge about this place so that Satan cannot get in. And when I think about that over in the New Testament, look at this. It doesn't mention hedge, but notice Colossians 3.3. Ye are dead, and it says, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Again, there's the hedge. We are hid with Christ in God. And so Christ is magnified as our hedge, and then he's also our daysman. Again, this is not something familiar to us, but when you study the Bible, ancient custom was when two parties entered into a covenant or some type of agreement that another man, which would be a daysman, as the Bible mentioned, would stand in the middle of these two, that daysman would then become the arbiter, uh, the, the, the one that would be between the two. His job was to bring the two to a peaceful settlement. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus came between us and God to settle our differences, all right? Because God is holy and we are not. And so we find here that what Jesus did for us is he reconciled us back together with God. 
Only Jesus could have done that. We cannot do that in and of ourselves. Notice the mention of daysmen in Job 9.33. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that may lay his hand upon us both. But John says in 1 John 2, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. I mentioned that this morning. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that's standing between. He's the one that goes to God for us. And so understand that he is Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate with the Father. And I'm certainly glad for that. Then notice the way that the book concludes. And again, I know I've gone through this rather quickly, but there are so many wonderful things. The design of this book is not only in general to assert and explain the doctrine of the providence of God, but in particular to show that Though good men are afflicted, which in this situation Job was the one, yet sooner or later they are delivered out of their afflictions and that it becomes them to bear them patiently. God wants us to patiently go through these times and not to murmur at them, not to complain of God on account of these uh, circumstances, trials that come our way, notice whose ways and works are unsearchable, and God, again, has to give no account of his matters to men. God doesn't have to explain himself. He is God, and notice he is sovereign. He is wise, and he is just in all that he does. And whatsoever, notice, is done by God results in good. Remember the verse there, Romans eight twenty eight. He's working all things together for what? For good, all right, to them that love him. And so the results for his people as well for his own glory as the events show. Again, you see all of this unfolding in the book of Job. Now, the book presents, I love, a lofty view of God as one worthy of our worship and trust, no matter how perplexing our circumstances. Keep that in mind next time you go through something. God is worthy of our worship and trust, and the book also teaches that we may ask honest questions of God. Nothing wrong with that when we don't understand why, but listen, make sure that you just ask honest questions and you ask it in a proper way. Now, the Lord does not really give, and we see this, He doesn't really give a direct answer to Job's question, why? Why was this happening? Why was He going through it? But here's what God did do, is He communicated that when things seem out of control, that He Himself is still in charge. God is always in control. God is sovereign. In the book of Job, wow, what a wonderful study. I apologize for going through that rather quickly. I'm sure that Nazarel's head is spinning back there, but um, I, I sure love this book. Uh, I probably did not do justice to it, but I'll tell you this. Take that and go spend some time in the book of Job. How many of you, after hearing that, would say, with all that I've gone through or what I'm going through or what I can face in the days ahead, that book might be a real help to me? How many of you think that? It really is. It really is. It will help us when we go through. And, and many times, God's going to teach us patience during times of suffering. All right? Well, let's pray, and we'll have some watermelon, okay? I hope you'll stay in fellowship. If you can't stay long, stay long enough to eat one piece, all right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you bless our fellowship, bless the watermelon. And thank you again for a great day. Thank you for the book of Job and the lesson that we've learned most of all, God, that we need to see you for who you are and see ourselves for who we are. And God, may you always be magnified and glorified in and through our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week. Get some watermelon.